1: Hello and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And today's episode, we're going to be exploring you know, actually the, the nature of organizational culture uh, from the perspective of where the soul's place actually is in it. And my guest today, uh, Marissa Levine, uh, is a, she's globally known as a thought leader in this space. And she's built four businesses over the last three decades. Um, And she's a best-selling author of a book called Built to Scale, How Top Companies Create Breakthrough Growth Through Exceptional Advisory Boards. And advice is is an important part of this. Uh, She's also a syndicated columnist for Inc. Magazine, Forbes, American Express, Open and Smart CEO uh, Magazine. Um, I I met her um, in a group that she and I are both part of, um, that is... You know, you know, right now called you know, One Degree. And it's, it's looking at how business can make one degree incremental shifts in consciousness about how business actually approaches its job of doing business on the planet. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that as well. So Marissa, I wanna just thank you for taking the time to join me and I wanna welcome you. It's good to have you oh, here. It's
0: pleasure to be here, thank you.
1: Well, I begin everything as uh, we were talking a little bit earlier uh, with a single question. When you hear the phrase the soul of business, which some, for some folks is kind of almost an oxymoron, you know, what does that evoke for you?
0: So uh what it evokes for me, every business does have a soul. Every business has a leader, so every business has a soul. And for me, you know, when I started my first business almost 30 years ago, the very first thing that I did was I just defined and established the core values because I view the core values of a business as really the heartbeat of a business. It's the North Star, it's the moral compass. It sets the standards for behaviors that you expect from others, that you won't tolerate from others. And it creates a framework for just general behaviors throughout the organization, both in good times and bad. And so when businesses can stay very focused on their core values, and everybody is on the same page regarding what is expected of them and and uh, what their north star is so I, I really equate soul with the core values
1: you know it's interesting that you say that because every you know for 40 plus years every organization i've ever consulted with or worked with has espoused values and you'll probably see them on the, the wall as a piece of art um, and, and I say the yeah espoused values. These are the ones that they give lip service to, but it's the, mm. the values in practice that make a difference. And that's what I'm hearing you talk to here. Um, I was doing a, a, a conversation not too long ago with, uh, with a friend, and we were looking at this question of values. And there are things that we value, and then there are values mm. that give us guidance. Mm-hmm. and. In, you know, the the artwork on the wall that I referenced, oftentimes that are thing those are things that we value. You know, we value customer service. Well, that's not really a value uh, from a beingness perspective. That's something you know to aspire to out there. That sort of thing. So, you know, yeah, I've I've actually got a reason for kind of positioning this in this way. In in my experience, it's it's real easy for a business and it's real easy for people to sell their soul in service of. A shiny object out there. Very
0: much and so. That's
1: right. slippery slope. So, how do you, now your organization, successfulculture.com? I mean, people, and I'm, I'm going to mention this a couple of times. Folks, you need to go there, uh, successfulculture.com. You know, they do incredible work from a leadership perspective in, in keeping a, a, a culture intact, mm-hmm. um, and in particularly keeping a culture intact that supports where you want to go. So, the idea here is how do you and how does your organization? actually keep people aligned to and engaged with, not the espoused values, but the values in practice that make a difference?
0: Such a great question. So I always say that values have to be much more than just words on posters and coasters, right? (laughs) Yep. So when a leadership team defines the values and what we do at Successful Culture International is we go in with organizations and Before we do any engagement, even if they say that they have their values, we wanna validate them. We wanna know that how they define values is aligned with how we define values. We wanna know that they really reflect the organization or are they more aspirational? And if they're more aspirational, what is getting in the way of them being able to actually live those values? When companies roll out or create values, first of all, it always has to start from the leadership, right? because leaders are always under the microscope. Every single thing that a leader does, every action, every behavior, every direction, their employees are watching them. They're watching them from everything from how people are hired, how people are fired, how an organization and a leadership team reacts when business is won or business is lost or an employee has a health crisis, whatever it would be, or a business has a retraction, whatever the situation is, those leaders are being watched. So... The first thing is that the leaders have to live the values every day. There cannot be any hypocrisy. There can't be any discrepancy between what the value system is and how the leaders conduct themselves. There must be alignment with that. But that's only one thing. So I look at corporate values as being the actual values. And then the second side of the coin are the behaviors and employees when we do this work we really communicate to the to the employees after the values have been defined that they are responsible for owning their own outcomes and they're responsible for owning their experiences within the organization it's not like they come to work and they work for these leaders and whatever happens in the organization is all up to the leadership team these are adults in an organization and they have to take ownership for their own outcomes and what that means is that they have to take ownership and have agency for the behaviors that back up the values. So when we develop the values and we roll them out, we do it in a half day program in a workshop that we educate the employees on the connection between culture, values, and leadership. Because a lot of companies don't, a lot of employees, they, they're in the tactical level. They're not thinking strategically. They're not at the visionary level. They don't know what culture is. They just know that word has been thrown around a lot. They don't really know what values are. The words have been thrown around a lot. So we want to make sure that people are educated on what all of these things are and how they are integrated. And then from an employee's perspective, what does it mean for them? So we take them through an exercise where they define the behaviors behind the value. So if someone, if an organization has a value like integrity, what does that really mean? Let's break that down. And let's not tell the behavior, the employees what behaviors they need to exhibit. Let's ask them what integrity means to them. And then they've contributed their voice to this conversation and that's where the ownership happens. So we make it very clear that living the values does start with the leadership team, but ultimately it resides in cascades throughout the organization. So it starts with behaviors And then there are lots of ways in which we work with our organizations, and I've written about this in Inc Magazine, on how companies can consistently live the values, whether it's re-engineering the recruitment and the hiring process, the onboarding process, the the, uh, career planning and the performance management process, the marketing materials, the business development process, um, you know, how you hold people accountable. There's so many different ways that organizations can live the values beyond the posters and coasters. It isn't just about creating the words or the, the slogans that go behind the words. It's truly activating them and living them in every moment.
1: You know, part of the way that I define and I love how you, you, you kind of unbundled that, but uh, you know, one of the ways that we've defined leadership in, in the work that uh, I and my organization do is it's the activity, leadership is the activity of co-creating coordinated movement in a system. And that kind of takes the mystique out of leadership because it actually becomes pretty pragmatic, co-creation and coordinated movement. Mm -hmm. And the co-creation piece is an interesting one because that's actually what you're speaking to here is, we co-create a culture on an ongoing basis, either consciously, or yeah, you know, organically by default,
0: yeah, you know, without
1: examination. Yes. And and I love the way that you're positioning this because this is about number one. It's an invitation. Tell me, yeah. You know, so that's the co-creation cool piece. Come on in here and let's you know, collaborate on you know what this means, and what does that translate to from your perspective in terms of our behavior. You know, rather than me, you know, you know the, the you know, traditional leadership mindset is top down. I'll tell you what it is. You go forth and execute. Um, and that's a little different than what I hear you talking about here.
0: So I'm all about um, empowering people to own their outcomes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when I was running my company, that was that was how we did it. It was, you know, yeah, you're working for us and we've made sure that you align with our culture. But if something's not working for you internally, you need to own that. You need to tell us why. You need to, you know, not only complain, but give us suggestions, but you need to own your own experience here because I can't be responsible for the experience of 70 other people. You're responsible for your own experience. And you're right, it absolutely is a co-creation type of uh, type of experience um, between the company leaders and the employees. And the other thing is, you know, if I'm in a leadership position. I, I'm only seeing the company from my 50,000 foot view, because that's how I view the world. And that's where I need to be. Right. Mm -hmm. My employees are seeing the company in totally different ways and they need to let me know what they're seeing or else I won't be able to see it.
1: Yeah. You know, the idea of responsibility, it's interesting. Um, When I got into this work 40 some odd years ago, and I'm gonna date myself here a bit, um, I started noticing real quickly, and this actually predated me actually beginning to do uh, the work that I do today. But organizations by and large, my experience was that they were toxic. They were toxic to the human spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that toxicity uh, was manifested and enforced by uh, a, a mindset of I'm the boss, and you work for me. Mm-hmm. So th- that, that notion of uh, uh, agency, um, people would show up 8.30 in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, hang their hat up, stand around, be told what to do, or be, you know, wait for their marching orders. And then they would do, take a break at a certain time, um, no, no longer than a certain prescribed 15 minutes or whatever it was. So that, that regimentation, you, you, you're a cog that you fit in this wheel and, and that's the way that the machine works the mindset has not shifted a lot in right. terms of how, uh, my experience of how many organizations run and that, that constriction, that mm-hmm. enforced uh, box yeah, is, is uh, I mean, it, 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 it takes the spirit out of life takes the creativity out of life, imagination goes out the window. So one of the things that I'm, I'm really intrigued with here is this notion of responsibility, because this is one of the things that I will always work with when I'm working with a client is, yeah, you know, how do you, how do you bring responsibility? Yeah, you know, just the idea of yeah. take personal responsibility for your experience, for the outcomes that you have, when people have in their minds, uh, an equivalency between yeah, responsibility equals blame. Yeah, I'm going to set myself up to be blamed for something. Uh, if I take, res- who's responsible for this? Not me, <laughs> not me. Uh, so that, there's an equivalency thing that needs to be separated and pulled apart here. Responsibility, to your point, I'm able to respond, response, able. And if I'm able to respond, by definition, I am taking accountability and Uh, ownership of my experience. I'm able to respond in this case or in this situation. So that's kind of a long uh, embedded question, but yeah, how how do you actually find being able to work with this notion of responsibility effectively and bring it to the surface in an organization?
0: So that's such a good question. And I'll go back to my own example of building my company and it gets back Mm -hmm. to culture. So when I was building my company, I knew, first of all, it's important to have self-awareness about what you do well and, and what you don't do well. Right. I'm mm-hmm. a great leader. I'm a great visionary. I am a terrible manager, terrible manager. You do not want me managing anybody because I'm not good in the weeds. Okay. So that meant that the company I was building, I needed people who had really strong work ethics, who didn't need to have handholding, who really could be Front and center, client facing on day one because we hit the ground running, right? Who were very autonomous but could also work in teams because we had a lot of matrix teams throughout our organization. So I knew, you know, those characteristics were reflective of our values, and we hired based on core value alignment, not just skill set. So, mm-hmm. so when people would come in, the way our culture was set up right from the get go was that people were empowered, not because it was something that was really great and exciting, although it was, but it was because I, I had no desire, nor did I have the time to micromanage and handhold. I had to trust my people from the minute that they came in. And so the way that I built the culture at my first company, Information Experts, was a, a very strong focus on innovation. I wanted a lot of creativity. I hired super creative people, I wanted to give them the room to innovate but the flip side and the second side of the coin of innovation is accountability and a lot of companies or leaders don't put those two together so Mm -hmm. so for example our company designed and developed a lot of online learning you know e-learning this is going back long before covid my company you know is 28 years old now i haven't run it for eight years but the company as it stands today is 28 years and that's what our, our main core product was, uh, was training and development, you know, products and services. And so when the industry shifted to online learning and blended learning, we obviously had to shift as well, or we would have gone out of business. And that's a whole other podcast episode about the importance of staying relevant. So, you know, as our company evolved and became a very strong multimedia and online learning company, my development team had a lot of creativity about creating these internal products that would expedite the development process and would, would make sure that you know, that uh, bugs were taken out and they, and they were really, really creative. And they would ask for our approval to move forward with the development of these tools, which I was fine with, but there had to be accountability. They couldn't just innovate for the sake of innovation. They had to bring me a business case. Literally, they had to write a business case on why it was gonna be worth the investment and how it's going to benefit the company, save the company money, benefit the customer, and then we even went the step further and we said, well, should we go ahead and productize and take these to the market? And again, you know, we looked at a business case and we decided not to because we wanted to stay to be a services company because being a product company is a whole different business model yep. with people and funding and you know structure and all of that. Um, but. For innovation, like to encourage innovation in a culture, to encourage innovation in a company, the flip side must be accountability. It can't just be innovation for the sake of innovation, but you wanna create an environment. And this is what Successful Culture International does for all of its clients. You wanna create an environment that employees feel safe, protected, seen, heard, encouraged, And there are lots of ways to do that. And we do that through all of our training that we do. We have our online uh, advanced leadership education, the Scale Academy, Successful Culture Advanced Leadership Education Academy on things like self-awareness and emotional intelligence and communication skills and unconscious bias because every single person on the planet has unconscious bias. And they bring that into the workplace, even if leaders say they're committed to a, a diverse and inclusive work environment They're not thinking that the employees bring in unconscious bias and all that needs to be unpacked. So we're very focused on making sure that cultures and environments are really strong and healthy and safe where employees feel safe and encouraged to push the boundaries of creativity and innovation and exploration, but are also held accountable in a productive manner.
1: You know, uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, I want to unbundle that a little bit because, you know, as you you were talking here, I was thinking of Patrick Lencioni's model, you know, with trust as a a foundation and accountability. You don't get accountability unless you've got some trust in place for people. And we'll talk all about that when we come back. So folks, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, When we come back, we're going to uh, re-engage with uh, Marissa. So uh, stay tuned. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com and on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on leadership mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that Site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become? a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business. That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. You are listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, And if you didn't go away, you already know that. So um, guest today, uh, Marissa Levine. Before we took the break, Marissa, you were talking about a couple of things here. Accountability is is actually what we were working towards. And you said a couple of things that evoked, you know, and for those of you that don't know this model, you you might want to, you know, figure out a way to get a hold of it. Patrick Lencioni, has got a model that looks at the nature of of team structures, dysfunctionality in in organizations. And the flip side of that is, how do you build a functional organization? The foundation of his model is is, uh, predicated on trust. And with the absence of trust, the whole house of cards falls down. And I don't care what your intentions are. So when you were talking about innovation is one thing, but then having accountability on the backside of it, they, they go hand in glove. How do you, because you know, yeah, you know, if you're going, you know, you're innovating something and then somebody's, you know, just really on fire and they're going, oh, this is this is the neatest sliced bread. Let's take this to market. They've developed a business case. And you mentioned, uh, you know, migration from being a service company to a product company. And yeah. that's a line you don't want to cross easily because it, it changes right. the entire business model of the organization.
0: Right. It will bleed you so dry. I got, oh boy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Same here. Um, If I've got myself all wound up because of this great idea that we've just kind of come up with and the business case and everything else we think, yeah, makes sense, but we take it to management, we take it to you, we take it to the leadership team and it gets shot down because it isn't in alignment with our value structure relative to we are a service organization and this is what we deliver from and this is what we deliver towards. How do you say no? And and still maintain trust. And that's kind of where I'm going assume
0: this. So so I gave the example of um, you know, and my employees who came up with these great ideas to develop things internally, and we went with them because they did. They expedited our process. They made our products and deliverables better. They, which meant that we were able to deliver them more quickly for our clients. Which meant that we were able to not charge as much. I mean, there was a tremendous upside to doing the development of these products in uh, you know, these technology products in our company and that that benefit was overwhelmingly clear and that is what we asked our employees to communicate in the business case when they said we want to do this. And they knew they had to create a compelling business case Two other examples of how companies can implement that that we we dealt with in our company when you know we obviously were a training company so we invested heavily in education for our employees that was one of our core values yeah. but there was a hook they couldn't just sign up for whatever they wanted to sign up for again we had a form and they had to create a business case on why what they were going to take was going to benefit the company and they were on the hook to teach it to the rest of the company so there's just always a way to put accountability in when some when an employee is asking to do something. Another example is um, when we would, you know, exhibit at trade shows, it's really easy to get yourself kind of lost in developing cool trade show gear and swag and, you know, adding money here and adding money there. And before you know it, you've, you know, you've blown your entire trade show budget and you haven't even gotten down there where you're exhibiting. So we, before we allowed that to happen, we would make sure that, I wanted to know what the plan was for actually capturing leads at the trade show and then how what the follow-up was gonna be before I'm allowing you to invest a ton of money in going to travel to a trade show. So I always was very supportive of the ideas, but I needed my employees to be thoughtful about what that meant to the bottom line and how Mm -hmm. we were gonna capture an ROI. And that's a very reasonable request for a small business to make on their employees. And that's really where the accountability comes.
1: It it sounds, and then I'll put this in in the language that I work with a lot, you know, anything that, you know, (laughs) as I fumble around with words here, um, the purpose of leadership is to produce a result. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's essentially what we're tracking for. Mm
0: -hmm. And the
1: purpose of communication is the same thing, to produce a result. Now. Mm -hmm. That result can be, you know, relationship connection. It can be uh, information gathering, whatever it is. But it's just a class of results. Leadership and communication end up becoming the same thing at the end of the day, producing a result. So the idea here is, um, and, and what I'm thinking of is, any interaction that I'm having with an employee, customer, or stakeholder of any size mm-hmm. uh, or oh, scope organizes itself around the, the question, for the sake of what? And, and what I mean by this is, yeah, we want to go to this trade show I want, or I want to take this class. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you say is that one of the ways that you, from a cultural perspective, and this was integrated into the culture of the organization, mm-hmm. is in order for you to take that next step, you have to be able to answer the question, for the sake of what, in a relevant way yeah yeah, and you know whether it's ROI or whether it's uh, you know others development you know, I mean you, know, you learn it you come back you teach it so there's an internal ROI as well as you know all of that sort of stuff so that for right. the sake of what becomes a real important question
0: uh, right, right. I'm hearing yeah.
1: I mean, you actually land
0: right I mean what well, you know why should we allow this and I and I was all for you know all the innovation I mean I, look I, I hired my employees were just stellar uh, you know when it came to creativity and ideas and ideation and I would never ever want to block that I mean you know in our really early years the creativity we have one guy who we have so many stories about the people that worked for us I mean he, he always had to work without a shirt like that's how he was like the most creative person I'm like hey whatever works for you I don't really care <laughs> like I don't care take your shirt off whatever you know Whatever makes you creative. Like I was always about encouraging the creativity and letting people be who they are and celebrating who they are. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, we, we weren't running a nonprofit. We weren't running a no profit. And I wasn't a bank. So, you know, we had to be mindful of, of how money was being spent.
1: You know, it's interesting. You know, you're talking, you've talked you know, throughout our entire conversation here about creativity in, in various guises. Uh, in my experience, imagination lives at the threshold of the soul. Uh, it's the gateway into the soul. And the soul is, and, and, and is where aliveness actually is generated. Sure. Uh, the soul looks for expression. You know, it's always looking to be more. come
0: and, and if it's stifled, it's going to find a way to come
1: out. <laughs> it will. It absolutely will. And for a leader that is steeped in a traditional mindset of, I need to command and control, I need to be sure that the you know, the guardrails are in place, yeah. that can be off-putting in a significant way. Yeah. And in my experience, that's where a lot of leaders actually go off the rails in terms of... Uh, Consistently accessing the soul of the business by way of imagination and giving their employees enough room out there to actually be imaginative and creative, without being fearful of what's coming, <laughs> going to be coming at them.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, there's lots of different cultures, and this is something that we educate our our uh, employee on our, I mean, our customers on. There are cultures that you know. Are very focused on process. Like if you look yeah. at uh, any manufacturing company, or you look at a fast food organization, you look at McDonald's, you look at Chick fil A, you look at any of those organizations. There, you know, that's those cultures serve a lot of people. Like for the people who are looking, and and this is not a judgment. I mean those the people who are looking to be a cog in the wheel that they want to go to work and they know exactly what they're going to do every single day and they're part of something bigger and you know they know that they have to do this or else this won't happen that's one type of culture and we need those organizations right and so it's on the leaders shoulders it's the leaders burden to make sure that the people coming into the organization fit the culture i mean on the on the other side of the spectrum You've got organizations like Facebook and Tesla and Amazon that not only uh, encourage innovation and risk-taking and failure, but they penalize if you do not take risks and if you don't innovate. And so if you take someone from like a, you know, a a very process-oriented manufacturing type of culture and you drop them in the middle of Amazon or Tesla, they're going to implode, right? So it's, it's, it's knowing what your culture is and knowing how to attract the right talent that will thrive in your culture and, and you know, propel and perpetuate your culture. That's why doing a cultural alignment during your hiring process is so essential and that you're not just looking at the resume for experience.
1: Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up. It's the onboarding, you know, first of all, the hiring and then the onboarding, You know, you two pieces to that. Um, I was doing some work with a manufacturing firm not too long ago and traditional manufacturing, and it's you know pretty heavily processed you know, oriented. And the caveat with it was that this was a custom manufacturing shop. So there was a lot of ways that people could innovate. And when we first started, the conversation I had with a senior team was I, like, yeah, you know, we can't get our people to come up with ideas. And so we started to unbundle that a little bit and started looking at okay, where did, okay, as leaders, where did you Matriculate from? Where did you come from? And yeah. almost every single one of them came out of a very hierarchical, structured manufacturing process. It was not custom. It was, this is just, you know, we've got, yeah, you know, we've got long term contracts to, you know, stamp out this pro- you know, product for the next five years. Uh, so nothing was going to change. So we started playing around with that idea and you know, I ended up spending about four years uh, working with these folks and, and it was fascinating. They have got some of the most creative engineers in that organization today. Mm. And, and without really turning over my, you know, many of the folks, you know, they just basically had to find ways to gradually unleash it and retrain people right. in terms of expectations. It's okay if you bring an idea, we're not gonna take your head off, yep. I mean, those, those sorts of things. So, and, through that anecdote, essentially, what I'm doing is saying, you know, we've got a culture, and do we hire for the culture? And if we're going to change our expectations, what do we need to change it ourselves first before we begin migrating that out into the field?
0: No, I I think I love that that you really have to look at who you are, and that's you know that's why with our scale academy, one of the most important modules we do is on self awareness. And we and I'm trained I'm in the jahari window the four pane window uh, that talks about your open self your hidden self um, your blind self where's you know your blind spots and then your unconscious self where you may not even know why you're showing up because of the way maybe you've been programmed or conditioned from events that have happened in your life and how do you discover those and unpack them so that you can show up in your most transparent way. So the self-awareness piece is tremendous in order to really break through the barriers that hold us back in organizations.
1: Yeah. And it, and it's foundational to emotional intelligence, which is the key to effective leadership. I mean, there's yep. a whole yep. interesting uh, generative spiral there. Yeah. Um, Marissa, how can folks get more information about what you're up to, what your organization is up to? And... Uh, I'll just kind of you know, leave that open question here and you know, fill in the blank.
0: Yes, yeah, SuccessfulCulture.com is my main website and I'm very active on LinkedIn. So I would you know find me on LinkedIn. I think it's Marissa111 is what my LinkedIn handle is. I'm also on Twitter. I don't post as much on Twitter. I'm definitely more busy on LinkedIn. Um, but I would say through SuccessfulCulture.com, you can sign up for our blog there um and uh i'm kind of all over the place my ink articles are on our website so just reach out you'll find me and our paths will cross and who knows where they'll go
1: great folks you've been listening to the soul of business with blaine barlett uh, guest today is uh, marissa levine marissa i want to thank you so much for being uh on the show i love this conversation it's yeah, so be- much fun Oh, I, 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 I love these conversations. I absolutely love these conversations. Love I, I learn a lot and uh, hopefully <laughs> folks are listening are getting some information too. I think they are. So, yeah, no, love work. You.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. And folks, I want you to check out my website, um, blainebartlett.com. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is that there's a free book there, Tapping Into the Soul of Business. So um, just go ahead and go there. Uh, It's real visible on the homepage. And I think you're going to enjoy the read. Um, And until next time, have a great day. Thank you, Blaine. You bet.